Today I'm going to talk to you about elimination. Elimination of words and phrases that damage you at work and in job interviews. Because on any one day at work, you're often actually speaking more than 60% of the time. You might be trying to persuade somebody. You might be actually giving instructions. You might be influencing or explaining, motivating or perhaps just counselling other people. Do you know whether you use words well? And when it comes to a job interview, it's one of the few times in life where a very small slice of time will have a massive impact on your life with all the obvious impacts on your future. So today is a cleansing and culling exercise. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st century. I'm taking a break from my coronavirus series and for the next little while I'm going to jump around all over the place to talk about any career issue that takes my fancy. In today's episode, I'm aiming to stop you from damaging yourself with the words and phrases that you maybe don't even know you use. Firstly, we're going to look at those in everyday use at work. And then I'm going to switch to the dreaded job interview and talk about phrases that kill any momentum you may have stone dead. Now, everybody has their pet hates when it comes to words. A few years ago, my sister, who's a receptionist, asked me to help her stop saying something. And so every time we went to dinner at mum's, which was once a week, every time she said something, I'd say something. And I I often wonder why she just didn't hit me sometimes. But she put up with it. And I don't know, it took a couple of months and she eradicated that error from her language. One of my colleagues just hates it when people say asked, as in I asked whether I should do that or not. And I must say, I was shocked a couple of weeks ago when a teacher used it. Imagine getting up in front of the class and saying that lots of times. I'm not talking about that, though, although it might be fun if you leave your list of hated errors on the podcast site. And of course, the message that your body language and voice conveys to others is much more important than the words that you use. But in the end, once people have looked beyond your body language and looked beyond your voice, they will still be affected by the specific words that you use. And without realising it, you might be stuck in a communication canyon where you alienate the very people you're trying to influence. Let's get started. The first word is the word quite. And I'll give you an example from my husband's company. A few years ago, I asked one of his managers how a new staff member was going. Here's the conversation. How's your new staff member going? Oh, he's quite good. What's the problem then? Nothing. He's good. It's just so deflating to put the word quite in front of an adjective. If you do that, it sucks all the energy out of the room. There's nowhere to go in the conversation after you've used that word. You come across as somebody who depresses things, somebody who reduces things to something that's not good and not accurate. If something's good or someone's good, why not just say it? In an interview, if you use this word to describe your own achievements or performance, you're undermining your own prospects. Would anybody in their right mind think it was a good idea to say something like, I'm quite good at motivating my team? It's almost an oxymoron. Motivation takes intensity, and you've just said that you're quite good at it. 
You might think that minimising the scope of your role or your achievements makes you sound humble. Instead, it's an insult to your organisation and your team. You don't have to sacrifice self-confidence to be humble. Confidence is self-assurance and it comes from an appreciation of your true abilities, whereas humility is having a modest opinion of your own importance. So you can be both self-confident and humble. You are giving the listener permission to downgrade you and your achievements. And you may not be respected if you don't describe your own achievements with accuracy. So here's how you can talk about somebody else at work. Be specific. She's very good at writing catchy language for my Instagram account and she's blah, 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 blah. And on you would go. In an interview, here's what you can say instead if you can't get the word good out of your mouth when describing your achievements. My strengths lie in blah, blah, blah. Or I'm very comfortable blah, blah, blah. Word number two, like, and I can barely force myself to utter this word. She was like, so impressed with my report, and we like decided to do one every month, and it was like, so great. And I must confess that this overuse of the word like drives me crazy. Perhaps it's a generational thing because it seems to be much more prevalent amongst younger people. A few years ago, I worked with two people from the same organisation whose jobs had been made redundant. After I got to know them, I said to one of the young women, Susan, what do you think I'm going to say about like? She said, oh, I know, I overuse it. And she and the other person who was a male from the same company ended up having a competition back at work. They were still working as their redundancy period evolved. They had a competition and I was really amazed because it took them only about a week to get it out of their vocabulary. So it can be done. You need to do it if you want to be taken seriously as a manager or an executive. Number three, but. But we've already tried it. It didn't work. Now, many senior managers and executives are strategic. They are conceptual and they also tend to be very enthusiastic about their ideas. You might think that your common sense objections are important. And you might think that it'll make sure your manager's crazy ideas don't end up wasting everyone's time. Here's the problem for your career. Nothing drags a strategic person down more than the word but. There's a great word called naysayer. You come across as a naysayer, someone who is stuck in the past and resistant to change. It's not a good idea for your boss to think that about you. Do it too often. And you might find you're sidelined from critical work, or you miss out on promotions, or even worse, you have your role made redundant. Word number four, stuff. I met with my client and talked through lots of stuff with him. He was pretty pleased. If you use this word in everyday working life, it's not that important. It becomes much more dangerous in interviews. You're missing the opportunity to sell yourself with precision. No one will remember what you say. What I've found is people who use the word stuff once in an interview tend to use it multiple times. It's a bad habit. If you do this, the impression you leave is one of vagueness, and this won't convince the employer to hire you. 
Word number five, use. Use all need to come on board with this lean manufacturing stuff. I can't believe this word is even making the list. This error is a very serious breach of the English language and it makes you seem uneducated. You don't often hear this word from managers or executives, but I do hear it sometimes from supervisors. And these supervisors, of course, often manage large teams. If you use this word at work with your team, there will be a significant number in that team who will cringe. They may then struggle to separate their horror at your poor English from their respect for your judgment and leadership. This undermines your credibility and perhaps your power. If you use it in a job interview for any sophisticated role, it might be enough in itself to rule you out. Word number six, nice. That was a nice report you delivered, thanks for that. If you use this bland word, you're missing an opportunity to add colour to your language. Now, a persuader, I think, has the ability to paint pictures with words. According to research, the breadth of an average person's vocabulary is in decline. So here's your chance to shine and stand out from the crowd. Look for ways to be clearer, sharper, and more eloquent in your communication. In a recent survey, workers were asked what skill they think their manager needed to improve most. The top response from 30% of workers was communication and diplomacy. An even higher percentage of millennial professionals said their bosses needed to improve communication and be more diplomatic. Use simple, direct and concise language at work and in interviews. Now, so far, I've highlighted single words that damage you. I'm going to switch to cliches and boring phrases that kill your job interview. Now, of course, like all of us, I do fall into the trap of cliches. I find myself saying, oh, that's not rocket science, for example, quite often. And after my skiing accident, when I had to recover from my injuries, I would find myself saying the phrase, it is what it is, many times. But here's just four cliches or boring phrases that might alienate a prospective employer. And it's worth a quick check to see if you use them. Number one, passionate. I'm passionate about world peace, maybe? Eliminating poverty? Or even the Adelaide Crows Football Club? It might be okay in a romantic movie, but passionate gets used far too many times in both cover letters and job interviews. It's such a strong word that it doesn't ring true in a work setting. Not many of us turn up to work every day passionate about our day-to-day tasks. It's not so much that your listener is going to disbelieve what you then say after the word passionate. Most people understand that you don't really mean passionate in the true sense of the word. I think it's harder to believe something that is attached to something unbelievable. If you must use this phrase, follow it up with specifics. And if you're going to say you're passionate about something, your delivery style is going to need to sound passionate and the content will need to be strong enough to convince your listener. A more natural alternative is to say something like, what I love about managing a digital marketing campaign is blah, blah, blah. Phrase number two, team player. I often say I'm one of the few people in the world who admits she's not a team player. 
Maybe that's why I'm a bit sceptical of people who make the claim. Teamwork is one of the most complex skills in the workplace. It's actually multifaceted. It's not just one-dimensional. So just saying that you're a team player as a standalone phrase doesn't convince anybody that you're gifted in this sphere. So instead of making an ambit claim, describe what it is about your approach to teamwork that makes you of value to a prospective employer. It may be that you are the creative one. It may be you're the glue that holds the various personalities together, etc. Be precise and be specific. Follow up with an example, even if they didn't ask you for one. My approach to teams is to blah, blah, blah. Number three is when an interviewee presents a series of lists. And then I did blah, 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 blah. And then I did blah, 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 blah. And then I did blah, 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 blah. Once I'm listening to somebody who started along this path, I've noticed that their voice will adopt a sing-song rising intonation with every example given. It's as though they're even bored with their own content and that's why their voice falls into this pattern. Instead of a long ramble, provide structure. This does two things. First, it lets the listener know where you're going, so then they're more inclined to stick with you. Second, it gives you confidence that you know what you're doing. You then tend to have stronger content and a more interesting delivery style. There were three key things I did. The first was to blah, blah, blah. The second focused on blah, blah, blah. And last of all, I blah, blah, blah. Finally, phrase number four revolves around the concept of leadership. I'm a collaborative leader. Pause, as if that's enough. Sorry, it's not enough. If you're senior enough to be talking about this topic, the expectation is that you'll do better than that. Just like teamwork, leadership is a very elusive quality. What a pity if you're gifted in this area but can't articulate why or how. You might miss out on the role to someone who is nowhere near as good a leader as you are, but who performs better at interviews. Do your homework. I've never found an executive who even has a definition of what leadership is. Think through the concept of leadership and then your approach to it. At this senior level, an interview is not a grilling under harsh lights. There's little risk in you straying just a little from the question they've asked if it gives the interviewer valuable information about you. So no matter what leadership question you're confronted with, start with your definition. Your leadership definition does need to be compelling and you need to sound as though it rings true with your values. The next step is to link your approach to leadership with your definition and then provide a specific example. I think leadership is blah, blah, blah. It helped me a few years ago when blah, blah, blah. I think what I'm talking about in relation to these last four elements is sincerity. In the United States, for example, most career experts will advise a candidate to send a thank you letter to the employer after an interview. This approach has never taken off in Australia because we seem to feel that very few employers would believe we were genuine. So if most of us are savvy enough to realise that few people are fooled by insincerity, it's time for you to use that wisdom in interviews. Wake them up! 
It's worth picturing the worst case interview scenario, a hot Friday afternoon with the sun streaming through the window right into the eyes of your decision makers. In such a situation, cliches and boring platitudes are not your friends. Even if they don't show it, your audience will switch off from you and will be longing for that first thank God it's Friday drink. Your job in an interview is to keep them alert and interested. Use normal everyday language. Accompany this language with an animated delivery style. If you achieve both, you will have nailed interview communication. As always, start long before you think you need to. At least a month before any interview, find someone to practice with. Together, assess your use of cliches and or boring phrases. Film yourself on your phone answering typical interview questions. Listen to both specific words and to the intonation of your voice. Then it's a case of practice, practice, practice until you have switched from bland and boring to sparkling and scintillating. If you nail the interview, you nail the job. It's as simple as that. Today's podcast has been about words. It's based on a blog I wrote a few years ago, and interestingly enough, this blog was the most viewed blog ever on my LinkedIn profile, and I think this topic clearly hit a nerve with people. It's not about being perfect. English is a devil of a language with its lack of rules, and of course, very few of us these days have even been taught those few rules that do exist. What I'd love you to think about is two things being positive and specific with language, and surpassing the expectations of your marketplace in an interview. Now, I still haven't done many podcasts, and I don't have many reviews anywhere yet, and I don't have many subscribers. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a podcast every fortnight, and next episode, I'm going to talk you through the concept of me limited. It's a fascinating topic, and I'm going to give you tips on how to actually do it. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There, you'll find a full article on the topic, an infographic, or perhaps a video that summarizes what I've been talking about. I'll repeat that, careerconsult.com.au. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos, blogs and infographics. If you are interested, you'll find a sign up form on the website. Let's finish with the hashtag. Hashtag, why not be happy at work? Music.